All right, so uh, like Caleb said, we're, we're, we're in the Apostles' Creed. And so we'll just do a little background to kind of bring everybody back up to speed where we're at today. So the Apostles' Creed, this is a statement of beliefs. It's a series of kind of one or two liners that has been around for thousands of years, generations and generations. And initially it was passed along through oral traditions. And the reason really that it is even in existence is because we have something today that the early believers didn't have, and that is the assembled passages of scripture that comprise our Bible. And so back in the first century, they might have had a letter or two of Paul's to the churches or some of the Old Testament writings, but those are usually kept in the temple with the teachers of the law and, and, the, and those guys. And so not, people just didn't have copy of those laying around. They didn't have an assembled Bible. And so they developed this over time so that people could have something to hold on to that was the, sort of the, the nuggets of our faith, the, the tenets that we could, we could recite to ourselves to strengthen lifting up ourselves. Uh, we could teach them to our children as a way to make sure they understood God's, God's process and God's kingdom and the salvation and all those things. And then we could also lead others to Christ because we would know these basic plans. And so when you, when you went out and you encountered people you could tell them what you believed, and then they could, through the Holy Spirit, then they could be drawn into that and become a, a part of that uh, believing body as well. So that's why that happened. Not to mention that most probably early first or second century common families, they couldn't read or write. It was the teachers of the law and the, and the government officials and maybe people in some higher education positions could read and write, but commonly people, you know, up and, up and through... The, the year 15, 14, 1500, a lot of people couldn't read or write, just common workers. So even if they had had those documents, chances are they wouldn't be able to use them the way we use our scripture today. We're very blessed to be a very literate culture in comparison to that kind of thing. Um, so, so far in the creed, then, we have explored several parts of it. So it started off, we talked about God, who God was. He's supreme, creator of all things. He's above everything else. He's almighty. Those are statements we make. We talked, it talked about Jesus, who Jesus was. He was the son of God. Talked about his mission on earth. He came. He was suffered under Pontius Pilate after living a perfect life. He was then killed, died, buried, and God resurrected him. And he forever sits at the right hand of God where he then will someday judge the living and the dead. So that's where the creed has come so far. And Steve has sort of unpacked some of that as we went, expounded on that. So today we're going to move on to the next section, and we're going to hopefully, again, unpack some of that. And so the next section says these basic statements. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of, state, of saints. Um, and I want to say something real quickly about, remember when we talk about this line, and people get really nervous about this unless you're Roman Catholic, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. This is, the, this is the one church of God, the, the, the unified church, the universal church. There is only one church. Of course, in, this, in modern times, we have Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and, and Episcopalians and all those. None of that has anything to do with God's church. There is one God, one Jesus, one spirit, and one church that exists under that. And that's what this means. This Catholic is, is sort of an old English word that just means universal. It's all-encompassing. And that's the church we're talking about. And the communion of the saints here isn't necessarily taking communion, which we will do today, 
but it is the community, our living together, our working out our Christian faith, our walking through our lives, being a light to the world together, not as a bunch of individuals. And that's what that is talking about. But I want to know, I'm going to spend a majority of my time today on the first line of that, the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's extremely important to remember that because the other two parts of that, and it's great they put those together in the creed like that, because without the Holy Spirit, there would be no, there would be no universal church, and there would be no communion or community of saints. The Holy Spirit is what empowers those things to exist and to be effective for God's kingdoms, and we'll kind of unpack that a little bit later. Um, but I want, I want you to notice this Holy Spirit thing. So God exists in three persons, and I'm going to go to some verses and explain that to you in just a second. So it's the Father, or sometimes we just refer to him as God. Um, there's the Word, which then became flesh, right? And that's what uh, the Gospel of John says. And it dwelt, he dwelt among us. He was human, and he carried the man, carried the name Jesus. But because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, he's also the Son of God. So we often say Father, Son, and then there is the third person, not an entity or an it, it's a person, the Holy Spirit. And so these are the three parts of God, and it's really kind of hard for us to even grasp this idea, this trinity, this triune God, because there's nothing on earth that's like it. We don't have an example anywhere that sort of mimics this such unity that they're referred to as one being, and yet they're described in different parts of the Bible as being with one another, as though they were separate. And so we just have to take it at face value. We can't truly comprehend it. The Holy Spirit can maybe try to give us some glimpses of it, but it's really beyond anything we have else in this world. But he exists in these three persons. Um, now, a study of the Holy Spirit, which is where I'm going to spend most of my time, would be, I couldn't do an exhaustive uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit if I took 10 years. It's beyond us to fully explore the comprehensive nature of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm planning to do today is just, just give us some groundwork, some foundational ideas about who the Holy Spirit is and why we have the Holy Spirit. Very foundational. So we're going to explore some of that. And then I will also talk about uh, briefly discuss the idea of the one church and our community of the saints, the communion of the saints. Um, so let's pray before we jump in, because I'm going to go straight to the Old Testament right after we pray. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity, Father, to speak your word, Father, to study your truth, and for us to, to uh, undertake an understanding of it. Father, send your Holy Spirit to me that I would be a true and faithful interpreter of your word. And Father, send the Holy Spirit on each person here that they would receive it in the way that you would have them receive it, Father. There would be understanding granted by the author himself. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So from the very beginning, so, you know, we, we don't see, we don't think of sometimes the Holy Spirit as being sort of around doing much until the New Testament, because there was Pentecost, and, and were, the Holy Spirit was poured out in some new way, and we're going to get to that. But I want to assure you that the Holy Spirit has been there since the very beginning. Forever and ever, God has existed in these three persons. And here's, I'm going to go to a couple of sections of Scripture in just a minute to talk about that. But the Holy Spirit was present with God in the very beginning, because in Genesis chapter 1, 
the second verse, which is really a phrase connected to the first sentence, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over this formless void of water. It calls it waters, which I think just means it's shapeless, uh, of the earth. That was what the earth was. And then right after that, God, so the Holy Spirit was hovering, and then God spoke, and everything came into existence. And it, it spells out the ten, God makes ten statements in Genesis where he, he speaks things into existence. But obviously, it clearly says the Spirit was hovering, but God spoke. They are separate in this text. And then again, John, in, the first, in, the, in his gospel, in the very opening statement, says, in the beginning was the Word, which is... Jesus, the Word, and the Word was with God, separate, and the Word was God, not separate. Again, it's, it's like we can't really grasp that, but this is what the Word says, so we have to believe that it's true in a way that it's a unity that we can't even grasp, okay? But they were clearly all three accounted for in the very beginning as unique and yet one. So it wasn't some new thing that just happened that God like, poof, now there's a Holy Spirit. It's been there since the beginning. And the Holy Spirit has been active since the beginning. It's not like after Pentecost, then men were suddenly empowered by the Spirit. God took many people, and there are countless stories and examples in the Old Testament, where he would give them a special indwelling or a special sometimes it said the holy spirit came upon them a special washing if you will of the holy spirit to accomplish something that god needed to accomplish to advance his kingdom and his agenda for earth here's some examples uh, in numbers it says that the holy spirit was in joshua and we know that Joshua went on to be triumphant in conquering all the other nations in the land God had given them. But he didn't do it because he was great, because he was Joshua. He did it because the Holy Spirit was in him. The power of God through his Holy Spirit was what accomplished that, that campaign of Joshua that we see in the Old Testament. Then we go on and we look in the book of Judges. We read about Gideon, mighty warrior for God. We read about Samson a redeemer for his people to some degree. And then Saul, it says that Saul had the Holy Spirit, although there was a time later in Saul's later years when he was a really terrible king that it said the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from him. That's important to remember, to think about that. See, he wasn't being led by the Spirit in his last days. And we're going to come back to that when we talk about what's going on now. We read about the prophets. The prophets, they heard directly through the Holy Spirit wisdom, guidance, instruction from God, and then they would then share that with the people. Sometimes it was a warning. Sometimes it was a prophecy that this is going to happen. Sometimes it would be, this will happen unless, or if you don't do this, this will happen. So, but it was, or it would just be teaching for living, but it was always a word from God given through the Holy Spirit to these prophets. So we see over and over, time and time again, the Holy Spirit, very active in the Old Testament. So this is not some new thing that's only come along after Jesus uh, announced it and there was Pentecost. It's always been there. But what about now? So now, after Jesus and after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in some new and different way, how does that work now? Is it different now or is it just like the Old Testament? 
And I would submit to you that it's different now, and we'll talk about that. Same spirit, but we're functioning in, uh, in him a little differently now. See, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, and this is prior to his being put to death, prior to the resurrection where he walked and talked with men and taught them before he ascended. So prior to all that, but it was coming soon, Jesus was talking to his disciples, telling them, hey, I'm going away. And he said, I'm going to go away, but it's good for you that I go away because I'll send the Holy Spirit instead. And they were like, what? So they, they didn't quite get it. Now, here's one of the advantages to that. See, Jesus, the man, because he was human, right? He was God and man. Again, it's almost like trying to understand this three-part God, trying to understand that Jesus was fully man and Jesus was fully God. It's tough to, to grasp. But as a man, Jesus could be at one spot. He, couldn't, he didn't clone himself and be in three, 300 places at once. He could be in one location at one time. So he couldn't be with everyone, everywhere, all the time that had need. Now, his power could be extended anywhere. Remember, he prayed for the soldier's daughter. He didn't get there. The daughter died, but then they came back and reported, hey, that when you said she would be healed, that very hour, she was healed. So his power was not limited, but his location, him, but he wasn't present there. They didn't, get to, they didn't get to interface with Jesus. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to go away, but the limitation on the Holy Spirit, like that doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells his believers. All of them, at the same time, at every location. Don't try to grasp it because it's beyond us as people. But he is ever present with his people everywhere. Jesus had locality, the Holy Spirit does not. The Holy Spirit is in all his people. Matter of fact, Jesus taught it like this in John 16 because he was talking before he, this is that, that conversation I just talked about. It says, but now I am going to him who sent me. He was going to go be with God. And, and it's interesting how Jesus starts this. And, but none of you ask me where you're going. Instead, he said, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. See, they, they were trying to think through their own, their own expectation again. It's like, oh, you're leaving. Oh, no. But they didn't say, well, where are you going? Because maybe that's better for us. Because everything Jesus did was better for them. It's like they, it wasn't clicking yet. And then Jesus says, but because I have said these things, you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He, then he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It was, he, he told them as much as they could possibly take in. He's like, if I tell you more, you couldn't take it. But, and then he says, but when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Who does he hear from? He hears from the Father. He hears from the other part of himself. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. This is Jesus talking. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Very important statement. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take whatever is mine and declare it to you. What does Jesus have? All that the Father has. 
And then he also says, and everything I have, the Holy Spirit will declare to you. All the truth, all the power, all of the rightness and correctness, all of everything that God is was contained in Jesus, and it will be declared to you. We, as believers, after the Holy Spirit is present, will have access to God's truth in a way we've never before had access. And it's not my truth. It's not, it's not your truth. It's not the government's truth. It's not some great theologian's truth. It's the truth of the one true God. Under the authority of God, we have access to his truth by the Holy Spirit. Let that think, sink in. Let that, just think about that for a second. That should blow your mind. You have access to the full truth of God through the Holy Spirit. That, that leaves out nothing. Jesus said, everything I have, he will declare to you. The question is, do we hear it? Do we listen to it? You could stand on the top of the hill by yourself and declare things to your blue in the face. If no one's there to hear it, it does no good. But it is declared. So then when Jesus later just to kind of put an put a exclamation point on this. The last teaching Jesus ever gave while on earth in his resurrected body, right before he actually went to heaven, was not the great commandment. And we kind of think of it that way. Oh, yeah, the last thing he did was say, go and preach. No, he didn't. The last thing he said was this. And this is in Acts chapter 1. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is an order. It wasn't like, ah, you should probably hang around. He said, no, you stay here. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We're, he's still thinking in our own expectations, still building a box and saying, God's coming, and I've got your box already. You've got to fit it right inside this box which is so not the way God works. And Steve talked about that on Christmas Eve. That God comes in the way he comes, not the way we expect. So they're asking this silly question, and he says, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive, now he declares what is going to happen, though. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's that phrase. You see that all through the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit has come upon somebody. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he said that, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The last words Jesus ever gave as instruction was, wait for my Holy Spirit. You will get power through this. So why? For what reason? To be my witnesses, to be his witness to the whole earth. So somehow, God's Holy Spirit was going to be poured out, and they were going to get this, this some sort of power that they'd never gotten before in some new way, some new form was going to happen. And that would allow them to be effective as they witnessed. Now, I want you to also notice a reference to baptism here. Baptism was a traditional ceremonial thing they did. It, was, it didn't only come around with the gospel. Okay, people were baptized in all kinds of beliefs and things, but it, it, it signified being washed completely by this new thing. 
So it was traditionally you would be submerged in water. We, in, the, in the New Testament, we see John the Baptist baptizing in a river. But it would be, it would be several things. You would be immersed or soaked in it or covered by it. You would also have a mark. It would be a sign. People would be, it would signify something. You were now marked by this baptism. And people would, would see that. You would demonstrate that in public place. And they would go, oh yeah, he's, he's got that thing going. Or he's, he's a part of that thing. And Jesus is saying now, he's painting the same picture for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be immersed, soaked in, covered by, and somehow marked to be different after the Holy Spirit's in you. So when people look at you, they'll say there's something going on there that I don't recognize from the world. It's, it's different. It signifies you. It, you're, you're, now, you're now marked or sealed in some way. For the purpose, again, to be witnesses. So with that in mind, I'm going to step back and go back to Genesis where we were at before. Uh, maybe a little further down. God made mankind for what purpose? Let's see what it says. Genesis, the first chapter. So we're early on, right? Man hasn't fallen yet. God's now going to lay out this picture for us, for our benefit. And then God said, this is one of the statements uh, one of the ten, ten creative statements he made. So let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, mankind, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That covers everything. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I won't go there, but that should settle that matter. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We were designed to be the image of God, image bearers of the king, the ruler, the authority, the almighty. That was what we were supposed to reflect. God was the king. He was giving us some stuff to do. In every tradition where there's been uh, a, a king in, the, in, in whatever culture, the king, say they want, oh, I need just to build a, a waterway to, to, feel this, to send water to this field, whatever. And he would commission people, you, you be my emissary. You go make that happen. When that guy walked out of the throne room, he spoke with the authority of the king. Nobody challenged it. It was the way it was. When he spoke, the king had spoken. We were supposed to be that to God's creation. When we walked in the garden, we were supposed to be the emissary of God. When, when I went up and pruned a tree in the garden, it worked. And it worked and it did exactly what it was supposed to do because it was authored and authorized by God. Not by me. I was being God's emissary, God's image. We're supposed to be image bearers. And I don't mean this crude stuff here. I'm talking about here in our actions, in our thoughts. That's what we're supposed to be. And of course, we know the story. We failed. And we're no longer the true image of God. We're now some rusty, tarnished, uh, incomprehensible semi-image. And when people look at that, they don't see God anymore and his authority. They see exactly what 
it turned out to be, which is when mankind said, well, you know what? My image is pretty good. I think, I think this image will do. God made me kind of like him. I, this image will be great. I just, I'll just project this image. I mean, come on. I can, I can, I can, oh, I can you know, dig in the dirt here and plant another apple tree. Wait. I think I'm doing pretty good. Matter of fact, I got some pretty good authority too. I'm made like God. I got authority. I can do that. That was the lie that Satan brought. You'll be like God. Oh, yeah. I got my own image. I got my own authority. And so it didn't work. We were no longer image bearers of God. We were image bearers of ourselves. And that separated us from God. See, we wanted to act on our own. Now, do human, do human beings still possess some of the attributes of God? Absolutely. We're still amazing creations. David said we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God still makes us in this amazing. We have so many attributes of God. We're creative. We're great thinkers. We have strength. We, we can work. We can accomplish things. We can, we can consider things that are great. But we're still all born with this corrupt DNA of the broken image. Our image was broken from birth. It's tarnished. We don't rightly represent the creator. It's built into you. You can't escape it. It's part of who we are as failed image bearers. In Jesus' explanation, he was telling his followers then that one was coming, the Holy Spirit, that can empower us to once again be that correct image of God. We can be a true image bearer of the Most High God through the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was saying. Rather than following just a series of ceremonial law things and, and going through some motions every year that would, it would do what it was supposed to accomplish, it would take our sin penalty and, and take that away. But it was never able to accomplish what the Holy Spirit accomplishes, which is to allow us to escape the bondage of sin, to overcome sinning altogether. You see, before the Holy Spirit is in you, before you have salvation and God dwells in you in the Holy Spirit, you don't have a choice. Why do we get so up at people, get so worked up about people in the world that treat us bad or cut us off or, or cheat or lie? They don't have a choice. They are slaves to their sin. We shouldn't get upset about them. We should go pray for them. But once you come to know Christ and that spirit is in you, you now for the first time ever have a choice to choose to listen to the spirit, not to listen to your soul. And that's exactly what it is. It's second by second, moment by moment decisions. Will you listen to the spirit, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit impulses? telling you to move this way. When you see a homeless, dirty, wretched person, are you going to, in your mind, are you immediately going to, ooh, yuck, dirty, I don't want to go. Or will you combat that and say, no, I will listen to what God says about that. That's God's creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. I will go and I will do what I can to intervene on God's behalf. I will bear God's image to that person. You had that choice. And that's, key here, because I want, I want you to hear this. You still have that choice. 
You still make that choice every day, all day. Are you going to listen to your soul, your flesh? Because I'm telling you right now, your flesh, just because you've decided to listen to God's spirit, doesn't mean your flesh is all good about that. Your flesh still wants control. And it will rise up and push you and, and, and irritate you. It, you'll get sick. You'll get down. And just to try to tear you down to where you'll say, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll cave. I'll cave in. You get to decide that. And the Holy Spirit now for the first time gives you that chance to, to choose rightly. And I would also submit this. You have to take God's authority given to you by the Holy Spirit and rule over, because you remember God said, you have dominion over, I want you to rule over my creation, right? Right, that's what it said in Genesis. I would submit to you that through the Holy Spirit, your first job is to rightly rule over yourself. You bear God's image through the Holy Spirit to yourself first. Then you can reflect that to others. If you're not if you're not receiving God's image in yourself and ruling over this flesh, this broken, messed up DNA we have, then you'll never be effective at shining it out because you won't own it. You don't own it, you can't give it. It's just a rule. And the more you work at it, the more you submit, the more you discipline yourself to hear and be in tune with the Holy Spirit, the more you get a rhythm in your life of knowing his voice versus what your flesh would lie. The e I, I hate to say this word, but the easier it gets, the better you get at it because you hear better. You're, you're listening for a sound that becomes familiar through the Holy Spirit. You have to put your flesh to death every day. Luke chapter nine, Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, here's a requirement. Take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean, take up your cross? That means you hang your flesh on that cross and you nail it and you kill it and you bury it every day. You have to kill your flesh so that God's spirit can reign in you. It's a, it's, it's a war back and forth. Now Steve on Christmas Eve uh, brought up an interesting point that I thought really fits well here and that is Steve said, God shows up in ways, remember I said before, we have this little box of expectations. So God says, he's coming, and we go, okay, it's going to look just like this. And we build a little place for him to land. But God has no intention of landing like that. He wants to be over here doing something. We assume we know, but we don't. And I think we can do the exact same thing with the Holy Spirit. I think you say that you say, Holy Spirit, and people immediately go to miraculous signs and wonders, and people being healed, and the dead being raised, and the blind getting sight, and those things happen. Those things happen. They are accounted for in Scripture. They're real, okay? But I think what we miss is the big miracle of the Holy Spirit is in every day, second by second, whatever you're doing, your mundane, boring stuff you have to do every day, when you're doing that, are you doing it through the power of God's Spirit so that you reflect Him into that situation, whatever it would be, or are you doing it in your own image and your own authority? It's when the Holy Spirit moves you and you submit to that in your daily grind, if you will, in this fallen world. That's miraculous. That's amazing. And that changes you and that changes your world. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, just to talk about this point. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's how he describes us. Put, here's what you're supposed to put on. 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ. What does Christ have? All that God has. God says he has peace. Therefore, God declares peace to you. He says, put on, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. There's that community. One body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you're not in the word, learning the word, reading the word, how can you let it dwell in you richly? Think about that. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It is the mundane walk through your life activities where you should be meek and kind and mindful and thoughtful and prayerful. It doesn't look spectacular outside, but inside it is the power to effective living. He also said in 1 Corinthians that whatever we do, and he mentions a couple of really exciting things, eating or drinking or whatever it is, we should do it to the glory of God. And how do we glorify God? This goes back to Genesis. This goes back to kind of my theme here. We glorify God by being our best image bearer. By bearing the true image of God, he's glorified. The way you bear your image will directly reflect on God to the world. If you're a bad reflection, they think God's bad. It's just the reality. Now, I am not saying that miraculous things don't happen, so don't hear that. Okay? All those things that get, make us wonder and give us awe, you know, people speaking in tongues, people laying on hands, somebody, and, and physically getting that, watching them heal. People uh, getting a word that they go and tell somebody, and immediately they say, oh, that changes everything. How have you? Those happen. Those didn't pass away in the New Testament. Those are still real. But I would tell you this, not everything that masquerades as the Holy Spirit in, the, in our modern churches is the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot of emotional mumbo-jumbo. People just want to get excited and get all worked up and then say it's the Holy Spirit. If it's not according to the words in this, in this text of, of Scripture, it's not the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't edify the church, if it doesn't bring God glory, it's bunk. So, so, so don't just think that it has to be all whoopee-doo and people doing backflips in the aisle. That can happen. But again, just like the New Testament, if you'll go and examine it, it's rare. Most of the New Testament was just guys living out their lives, doing their thing. And God empowered them with the Holy Spirit to walk faithfully. Yes, there were healings and there were miraculous signs, but they weren't super common. Why should we expect it to be super common if it wasn't then? Finally, I want to note that the... Um, these other important aspects that are directly connected to the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be in unity because God has one spirit, one mind. The Bible tells us to put on the mind of Christ as followers. So if we have the same mind, we will be one body. We were never intended to be solo believers. This, I can just, yes, we're all individually saved. Your salvation is not linked to someone else's salvation. 
your eternity, your, your faithful walk, however, the way you walk in this Christian life is absolutely linked to the way your brothers and sisters walk in life because we're supposed to encourage and strengthen and help each other in that walk. If you're trying to walk it by yourself, I guarantee you you're going to fall and fall a lot. We're supposed to be in lockstep, unified, one body, one mind, one Christ, one God, one spirit. We're supposed to be doing this together. This idea where, oh, my faith is a very personal thing. and I just, That's a very 20th century thing. That didn't exist before 100 years ago, maybe 50 years ago. That is such a lie. We were never intended to be private about our faith. That's just ridiculous. We can't possibly survive this world effectively if we're not unified and doing the work of the church. It just can't happen. The Bible even tells us specifically, don't forsake gathering together. And I don't believe that means just on one day a week when somebody, when David gets up here and gets to get excited and makes a noise and bother you for a few minutes and then you go home. Or Steve gets to bring some great uh, personal, uh, you know, revelation and then you go home. I don't think that's what that means at all. I think it means daily being disciplined to be in the word, connecting with other believers, strengthening each other, getting together in small groups, getting together, just having dinner with other believers, whatever. We're supposed to be a family. And you may have noticed the last few years, Steve is really big on this. We're going to go to one service. We had, these, we had these big meals. We're supposed to be doing this together, unified, truly the Catholic little, little C church, universal. And now... Uh, I think uh, Caleb's going to come out in a minute, and, and we're going to sing a couple songs. And we're going to share in one of these things that we do together as a unified body, right? We have what we call communion. Maybe it's an unfortunate name. It's, maybe it's not, because it talks about community. But this is, um, this is a, a ceremony that represents the amazing feat of Jesus, the amazing accomplishment what he sacrificed, what he gave on your behalf and my behalf. And so we, we come and we, we have the bread. And when Jesus, the first time this was sort of inaugurated, Jesus held the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus' body was torn and shred. He had nails driven through his hands and feet. He had spears driven in his side. He bled all over the place. He had crown of thorns on his back. His back, the flesh was ripped open on his back. In a beating so bad that the American Medical Association about 15 years ago came out with a paper saying they were shocked he even survived the scourging to even make it to the cross because it just rips the flesh off. This is what Jesus endured. That's the bread. He's my body broken for you. It was just torn to bits. And then, the, and then, of course, he bled. He bled from the beginning to the end. And he says, this is my blood. And I'm shedding it for you, for the joy that I have to know that you can receive and become one with me and the Father. That's what we share here. So let me ask you, how is your power? How's your living going? Are you, are you struggling? Are you falling? Are you, are you, are you just, it's just a grind. It's like you're in a, you're just like everything you do is running through quicksand. And you're like, man, I'm just not doing it. Have you thought about this? What's your image? Whose image are you portraying? Are you trying to rely on yourself and say, my image is pretty good. I need to, maybe I'll polish it up a little. You can't. God's spirit will, help, will, will bear his own image through you. 
And if you don't submit to that, you can't be a part of that. So I ask you to, this week, think about it. Go read uh, 1 Corinthians 13 if you want to talk, you want to learn about uh, what Paul talked about, all the, all the gifts of the Spirit and the workings of the Spirit. And that's great teaching. Remember how he finished, though? He finished with love. He said, prefer love over these other gifts because therein lies everything else. So they're going to sing a couple songs. Ready your heart. Think about, think about what Jesus did for you. If there's something that you think is between you and Christ or between you and another, take it to God. Work that out. And then when you're ready, when you're ready, while they sing, come down here and let's enjoy uh, taking the, the bread and wine together. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we are united. Let's show it through this ceremony.